Chart Chat is a member of the Tiege.fm network from WTJU Radio. Find out more at Tiege.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, August 19th, 2019. I'm Tanner Green, and you're listening to Chart Chat, your weekly guide to the past week of pop singles hitting the US and UK charts. Unfortunately, Caitlin does need one more week to finish moving, finish adjusting to her new job. Last update I heard is that she does officially have everything, or at least almost everything, into her new apartment. So that's exciting. So hopefully we'll have her back next week. But in the meantime, fear not. It's not just me as it was with last week's episode. We've got a returning slash special guest here. We've got Steph Gunst. Hello, Steph. Hello. Steph, I believe there's been a change since the last time you were here on this podcast. Yes. I am now Dr. Steph now. Dr. Steph. It's official. Set in stone. She got her PhD. I went to her dissertation defense. It was lovely. Once again, we mentioned this on the first episode she was on. It's on the evolution of the music box over, what would you say, the mid-19th century into the early 20th? Yep. That's pretty much it. That's sweet. Yeah. So read that. Look it up on your academic database of choice if you so choose. But in the meantime, we're going to start with the U.S. chart entries for this past week. Starting at number 99, where Matt Stell debuts with the song Prayed For You. Got a duet at number 97 that's called What Happens in a Small Town. It's by Brantley Gilbert and Lindsay L. Weirdly enough, we've got a song by Tool debuting at number 93, the long-running progressive metal band. The song's called Fear Inoculum and I believe set a record for the longest Hot 100 entry in chart history. It's a little over 10 minutes if I recall correctly. It's pretty good. Go check it out. At number 90, we've got Keith Urban with his song We Were. At number 82, we've got a kind of blue face ripoff. It's Amjay and his song Uno. Number 67, Queen of Mean by Sarah Jeffrey. And then we're jumping all the way up to the top 10. At number 8, where Ariana Grande and Social House debut with a thank you next retread. And that one's called Boyfriend. And Steph is nodding because she knows. We all know. I was very disappointed to see that people had already made that mashup. Stole my idea. As if it wasn't self-evident. Anyway, what are we talking about this week? We're not talking about Tool. I thought about it. But I decided to go with something a little more out of my wheelhouse and a little something more in the wheelhouse of our special guest here. Because this week on Chart Chat, everything is coming up Disney. We're talking about Queen of Mean. Talking about Sarah Jeffrey, once again, debuting at number 67 this past week. And for those that are unfamiliar, this song comes to us from the soundtrack for the Disney Channel TV film Descendants 3. And hopefully you are as unfamiliar as I was because there is a whole lot of background to cover here. So first, the Descendants franchise. What is it? It's a series of three Disney Channel musicals, all directed by Kenny Ortega, who we will talk about in just a little bit. The first Descendants film released back in 2015 with the soundtrack hitting number one. The second film came out in 2017 with the soundtrack hitting number six. And now the third film comes out this year in 2019 with the soundtrack hitting number seven this past week. Unfortunately, I have to admit that I have not seen any of these movies yet. But fortunately for all of us, Steph did marathon the first two Descendants films two days ago. 
before watching the last six episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion with me. You had a wild Friday. Uh, Steph, what are the Descendants movies about? Yeah, it was... Yeah, there was a lot going on that day. So first of all, if you, dear listener, are interested in watching the Descendants movies, Descendants, not to be confused with The Descendants, or even worse, The Descent. (laughs) Those are all very different films. Descendants and Descendants 2 are available for free currently on Disney Now. That is how I watch them. Totally legal streaming option. Um, I'm assuming it's free at the moment as kind of a promotion for Descendants 3, which just came out that I have not been able to watch because that was not free and I did not choose yet to pay for it. But I am intrigued by it after having seen the first two, which surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, to me surprisingly a little bit, uh, they were very good. (laughs) Better than I could have possibly anticipated. Maybe even better than some Disney theatrical releases that have come out, depending on uh, what reviews you've been reading. Um, So Descendants, Descendants to the franchise, generally speaking, I think there are also like TV, like an animated TV version and like other sort of spinoff things, um, which I have not seen, just the films. So those are essentially, there's this land called Oradon. So conveniently called the United States of Oradon or the US of A, which is doubly interesting because they have a kingdom and a king, um, not a democracy. Anyway, so there's, so a long time ago, the parents' generation of the fairy tale characters you're familiar with, from heroes to villains, Maleficent, Snow White, etc. All the evil people were banished to this Isle of the Lost or something like that. And their children are now on this island. So you can think of it kind of as a metaphor for disenfranchisement or limited access to things. Basically, you know, this island kind of has no access to resources, whereas Oradon has access to all the resources. And the whole setup for the franchise, broadly speaking, is the new king of Oradon, the child of Beast and Bell. His name is Ben. King Ben rolls off the tongue really well. He, he has decreed that they will bring over some of the kids, the teenagers from the Isle of the Lost to Oradon to help try to like reintroduce them to like mainstream society, basically. It's kind of like basically they're viewed as like juvenile delinquents and they're trying to like, you know, reintroduce them into society is basically a way you can think about it. And so there's this whole other plot of basically how, you know, these kids are trying to both like learn to be good by being an Oridon, but also try to push away from their evil parents and like the things that their parents want them to do. So it's kind of a story, broadly speaking, about chosen family, you know, putting your faith in yourself, like you are not your parents kind of deal. So those are kind of the themes that it gets into, which is actually pretty heartwarming and hopeful and really sweet. The sort of thing that potentially plays to both a younger audience in the parents just don't understand sense, but also in an older audience, it sounds like potentially. Totally. I Disney knows really well how to market both like the nostalgia crew because it's totally you know it's building off of characters from all previous Disney films and like the Disney Princess franchise broadly speaking um, as well as a younger generation 
yeah, and yeah, references to like multiple generations as well as Broadway fans. Like Disney knows how to run the gamut and like cross pollinate audiences for sure. Totally. And part of that's because of the personnel, which we'll get to in just a second. But first, just for a little taste of what that first film sounds like. Should we listen to Rotten to the Core? Absolutely. So again, that's Rotten to the Core from the original Descendants soundtrack back in 2015. And when Steph and I were talking a little bit earlier before recording, she was saying that she really wants to do a back-to-back comparing the sort of, I don't know if theme song is the right term, but the, the main villain song of Descendants 1 and Descendants 3. Yeah, I think that's a way of thinking about it. It's definitely like the song that introduces each film, basically. Yeah. So and it so, gives you a sense of the broader style too, musically speaking. Exactly. And so in that first film, again, that was Rotten to the Core, and now in Descendants 3, here in 2019, it's called Good to Be Bad. Everyone come and take your shot. Now's the time, show what you got. Because everyone's going to get their chance. So four years separating these two soundtracks, aside from the fact that the Descendants 3 song gets delightfully early 90s New Jack Swing stuff, you've got some thoughts on these or some observations. Yeah. So one thing I think Disney is particularly good at in terms of song construction is just kind of capturing, you could say like the sonic zeitgeist of a particular moment. And what I think is really interesting about comparing these two songs in particular, again, not having seen Descendants 3, but knowing how the first two work, I'm pretty sure that both are the initial songs, like the first things you hear for each film. So that really sets the tone, just sonically speaking, for each movie. And what's interesting to me is just even in the four years separating, like how sonically different they get, kind of how they capture like what the sound of the villain song is essentially and in particular genre speaking if you notice with the descendants song rotten to the core that is much more in an edm idiom than i would say descendants three good to be bad is that's much more of a new jack swing early hip-hop early 90s as tanner mentioned but also the other interesting that disney does is they kind of make kind of a hodgepodge. So they're not, so in in capturing this moment or a particular era, they're not just looking at like one thing for influence. They're looking at a bunch of different things. So one thing that really, that I think is really interesting with Good to Be Bad is not just, so there's the New Jack Swing, which had its own kind of renaissance with Bruno Mars, Cardi B finesse just a little while ago. But there's this part where, 
the kids sound like Gwen Stefani a little bit. So you have like early 90s, Gwen Stefani, I think of like mid to late 2000s. And then you have this kind of Cardi B flow from Bodak Yellow, which of course is from just a couple of years ago. So it's really blending all of these sounds into like one cohesive thing that still has its own distinctive flavor, but it's also just borrowing from so much. And it's pretty overt about it in a way that, at least for me, kind of wraps past shameless and back to kind of charming almost. But again, that maybe is also aided by seeing it in the actual context of the film. I, yeah, probably too. Yeah, I'm sure it's definitely a your mileage may vary moment. Uh, I I also think it's pretty charming, but I think the the flip side of that for me is sometimes my ears have a little trouble grabbing onto these songs um, because my they my ears just want to go to other songs that it sounds like. Even though in the moment I also like these songs as they are, and of course the lyrics fit very well into the context, the narrative of the film itself. So there's that so maybe part of it is like the songs don't stand quite as well on their own without the context of the plot more broadly speaking which is pretty understandable yeah um so let's throw another entity into this stew this villain stew i mentioned kenny ortega earlier as the director of these three films and i want to give a brief run through of his career because the more i looked into what he's worked on the more i was stunned because he has had an illustrious run Started off way back in the early 80s, started as a choreographer on blockbuster films like Xanadu, St. Elmo's Fire, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, worked on music videos for artists like Rod Stewart, The Pointer Sisters, Madonna. He was the choreographer for the Material Girl video. He was the choreographer for Cher's video for If I Could Turn Back Time. The list goes on. You move into the 90s. Ortega starts directing more feature films, including theatrical releases. You Got him in the director's chair for Newsies and eternal classic Hocus Pocus. But he was also continuing his choreography work for everything from Tu Wong Fu to Olympic ceremonies. Kind of all over the place. And then fast forward to 2006 to 2008. Kenny Ortega directed and choreographed a certain trilogy of TV musicals for a certain television channel set in high schools. That's right. Kenny Ortega directed High School Musical 1, 2, and 3. And Steph, you are the expert between the two of us on the High School Musical franchise. How do you feel about these films? They are, much like Descendants 1 and 2, much better than they have any nerve being. (laughs) Maybe it's just we're in the era of peak TV now, and it's just anything can be good anywhere but man it's like surprisingly good i actually just rewatched it last night kind of as prep for this you know it still holds up pretty well the songs are like really earnest very mid-2000s the acting is you know what it is very young zach efron 
Vanessa Hudgens. They've since gone on to do, you know, other romantic and musical fare, including The Greatest Showman for Zac Efron, and of course, the wonderful Princess Switch, the Netflix original film for Vanessa Hudgens. Which I watched at your urging, and I'm very grateful for. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah, if you're into, you know, the Netflix original film, Hallmark Channel original films, you know, these films are like right up there with it. You know, they get really good casts in there too sometimes. So yeah, so High School Musical, surprisingly good. The songs still hold up really well. Probably a number of listeners remember when it came out. If you were a little younger, I was in college when it came out. So it was technically speaking, maybe I had aged out of it. And so I had gotten ready to hate watch it initially. And I was utterly charmed by it despite myself. But also, it's kind of amazing to sort of look back in a retrospective sense, like how big it got. I had read an interview where the, at least the composer had claimed that they sort of assumed it was going to be a flop and were very surprised when it was the opposite of a flop. Like it got so big that by High School Musical 3, it actually had a theatrical release, unlike the first two, which were to Disney Channel originals. And on top of that, you know, think about how High School Musical released in 2006 is three years before Glee. It's really before kind of the rise again of the musical genre in film and TV. I mean, you have precursors to it. I mean, Chicago won Best Picture in 2002. Disney Channel, of course, had its own successes with Lizzie McGuire. Hilary Duff came out with a single of her own in 2004, Come Clean, which, you know, I was also kind of enchanted with. Cheetah Girls. <laughs> yes, Cheetah Girls. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, I mean, it definitely had, like, Disney Channel had precedence, but High School Musical was definitely on another level that almost no one could anticipate. Um, and so that sort of makes it really fascinating. Um, it seems kind of almost expected now. But in 2006, it was definitely far from that. And so I think that is really fascinating to me. It's been, you know, 13 years in the future, just kind of looking back on that. And this song in particular um, that you may have recognized it, Breaking Free, sort of it's the penultimate song in the movie, but kind of like the climactic point of, you know, the characters of Troy Bolton and Gabriela Montez are finally coming back together. They do their callback audition. They win the parts. You know, it's all very sweet. But also, you may just remember it because it went to number four on the Billboard Hot 100. It was ridiculously successful as a single. Way more so than any other single from that soundtrack. You might get me to watch it one of these days. I mean, I own it. (laughs) It's 98 minutes long. Bless your heart. So that's the second piece of the puzzle. We've got the background on the Descendants series. We've got background on director Kenny Ortega. All that's left is background on the woman hitting the Hot 100 this week from Descendants 3, Sarah Jeffrey. Jeffrey's an up-and-coming singer and actress from Vancouver whose career really started to take off in earnest back in 2013 when she got a lead role on the British-Canadian police show Rogue. Steph, have you ever seen Rogue? Nope, not at all. I haven't heard anyone talk about it either, and I think that might just be a a difference of of nationality. But uh, the show lasted three seasons, so it seems like it was at least mildly successful. And on top of that, Jeffrey's performance did garner her a nomination for a Leo Award, which is basically a British Columbia Film and TV Award. 
And then in 2015, again, she landed a spot in the first Descendants film as, as Steph mentioned, the child of Sleeping Beauty and Prince Philip. And now since that breakout role, Jeffrey has also landed a spot as a lead role on the CW show Charmed, which was renewed for a second season. Steph, have you seen Charmed? No. Is that a reboot of the original Charmed? I believe so. Which I've also not seen. Same, because you know how little TV I watch. So we're letting you down, listeners. We apologize. But for Sarah Jeffrey, it's likely her work on Descendants that remains the best known, at least for now. And with Queen of Mean, this is her very first appearance on the Hot 100, once again debuting up at number 67, which is pretty impressive, especially for a debut. Let's take a listen. Being nice was my pastime, but I've been hurt for the last time. And I won't ever let another person take advantage of me. The anger burns my skin, third degree. Now my blood's boiling hotter than a fiery sea. There's nobody getting close to me. They're gonna bow to the evil queen. Your nightmare's my dream. Just wait until they fall to my wicked schemes. I never thought of myself as me. I always thought that I'd be the queen. Now there's a devil on my shoulder where the angels used to be And he's calling me the queen of me All right, Steph, what are you thinking about Queen of Mean and Sarah Jeffrey's performance here? Or in Descendants in general? Well, generally, I like this song. And again, I haven't seen it in the context of the film. Uh, but what I sort of gather... So there are a couple of things that are interesting to me, and this is not even really getting to the sound of it, really, just kind of thinking about the character and the position of the song, probably in the narrative. So that character, Audrey, she has a pretty minor role in the first Descendants movie. She's like the initial girlfriend of the future King Ben, who becomes King Ben in that first movie, you know, but then he, you know, falls for, you know, kind of the main sort of bat the main villain kid right mal the daughter of maleficent and so he basically that relationship dissolves and you know he starts dating mal and you know audrey seems like kind of bitter about it but she also like disappears pretty quickly and also there are bigger issues in that movie it's not really about relationships it's about other stuff um and then she's not in descendants to at all like they casually mention the character of Audrey, especially she dates like the son of Prince Charming at one point, who's kind of a tool in the movie. So that that character shows up and he references Audrey, but she does again, she's not there. Maybe she was busy with TV and other roles. Maybe she didn't have time to be in the second one. Anyway, so it's interesting that she one, she's back in Descendants Three, and two, as suggested by this song, that maybe she's like girl good girl turning bad you know you know at least the child of heroes herself may be turning into a villain so that is interesting to me what's also interesting to me is this song maybe structurally speaking kind of reminds me a little bit of another ridiculously famous disney song uh that got very popular a few years ago and that would be one uh frozen song let it go 
If anyone saw Frozen, uh, you know that Let It Go is actually toward the beginning of the movie, and it's the Ice Queen, the Snow Queen Elsa, kind of declaring her independence. And she's not really a villain per se; she's kind of more of an antihero. But she definitely kind of loses her way a little bit in that movie. And like part of the goal is kind of her finding her way back to acceptance and to her family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Let It Go itself is kind of like this anthem to like I don't need anyone. I'm just like going to be this independent person, blah, blah, blah. And so Queen of Mean to me feels a little like the let it go of Descendants 3. Maybe it wants to be and it actually seems to be working if this is the highest charting single from that soundtrack so far. So those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, I feel like I've probably tipped my hand already, but I was kind of blindsided by the fact that the soundtrack was pretty good. I, I think I mentioned at the top, I'm not one for musicals generally, but this really impressed me. Again, you mentioned the sort of genre variety. You get some songs that we've already kind of talked about that fit in with the current top 40 radio trends. You get some that are more indebted to the past. There's a couple songs that are sort of 50s doo-wop or rock and roll. And then you get some that feel like a little more traditional uh, musical material. And with something like Queen of Mean, I think it's a really good example you talked earlier about good to be bad kind of meshing the aesthetics of musicals with the aesthetics of trap and pop. And if you listen to the bridge on queen of mean, well first with the verse, you get a semi-spoken vocal where the delivery and the drum textures kind of bring it closer to hip hop. And then on top of that, if you go and listen to the bridge, Jeffrey actually switches her rhythms to the triplets that we are all very well familiar with by now in 2019. It's so magnetic, my body is moving, unsure where I'm headed. All of my senses have left me defenseless. The darkness around me is promising vengeance. The price that I'm willing to pay is expensive. There's nothing to lose when you're lonely and friendless. So my only interest is showing this princess that I am the queen and my reign will be endless. It somehow works really well. And I think it's helped even further by the franchise's concept. I think both Steph and I would agree that Disney villains are way more interesting than the heroes. Villains in general are kind of much more interesting than heroes by definition, I feel like. And at least for Disney, I feel like they're known for being very grandiose, a little bit campy. And so I think that narrative conceit kind of builds a certain amount of self-awareness into the songs, which at least for me, I think helps keep the potential for cheesiness kind of in check. So this might be a step forward in me learning to like musicals, which is surprising to say about something like Descendants 3, but uh, thanks, Disney. And thanks, Steph, for joining us here in the studio to talk about something that I know very, very little about. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm always into talking about Disney anytime, anywhere. I'll quote you on that. And thanks so much for listening to Chart Chat. If you want to listen to all this past week's chart debuts, you can find a Spotify playlist in the show notes. If you have any questions, feedback, or corrections, get in touch with us via email at chartchatcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. Check us out on Twitter where I have posted what I think is the best mashup I've made yet. It's a mashup of Sam Smith and George Michael. I'll just leave it at that. But you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ChartChatCast. Tell your friends that you can download our show anywhere you stream or download your favorite podcasts. Thanks to Coronation Media for our cover art and intro theme. Thanks to Teej.fm for having us on the network. If you want to learn more, drive your browser over to Teej.fm. That's T-E-E-J.fm. Thank you again for listening to Chart Chat. I'm Tanner Green, and we'll catch you next week. Just a game. Look what I have done. Done it the 
hoping that my love will keep you up tonight. 